Choir, it's good to see you made the transition out. Now, you won't believe this, but they couldn't see Brad back uh, doing his thing. And one of the things we've tried to incorporate over these last weeks are some various and, and new expressions of worship. And certainly part of that is Brad's been able to share his gifts, his talents, as an act of worship to lead us. And uh, so I, I know our choir wanted to be able to, to share in this last Sunday where Brad will be painting. And so that's why they have transitioned to join us in the congregation. Um, I want to share with you just a treat and a joy that I had this week. You know, one of the things we've, uh, we've been able to accomplish and experience is as part of moving our friendship meal to the afternoons on uh, first and third Sundays is really a, a, a rich and deeper opportunity and time for fellowship and, and conversation. And over the last uh, few months, I've gotten to know a, a couple, some uh, a couple, uh, a male and female, and we've had a chance to visit, and they called uh, about two weeks ago, and they said, you know, we would like to talk with you about, about doing our wedding, doing our ceremony. So, Thursday morning, I walked down to Food Shelter, and there were about 15 of us, and we gathered around this couple, and we shared in their wedding vows together, and they exchanged wedding rings is part of that tradition and ceremony that, that we're accustomed to, that's a part of our tradition. And one of the things that I'm reminded of as we enter into those wedding vows and commitments is that yes, the moment is significant, the moment is important, it's vital, but marriage doesn't begin and end with the wedding vows, does it? The wedding vows are simply a beginning. And that marriage and love grow and grow and grow each day. And as a part of that ceremony, we, we exchange rings. And this is a ring that my wife gave me over 24 years ago. And I wear it and I carry it with me all the time. And it reminds me, it's that ongoing symbol that I carry with me that, that tells and reminds myself if I need that reminder... But it also tells you, it tells the world in which, I engage, in which I engage that I have committed my life and myself to a woman in marriage. And so I carry and I, I wear this ring with me as a constant reminder and proclamation of that commitment that I've made to her. So today, as we consider the mighty acts of God, I'm reminded that the empty tomb is not the end of God's mighty work. And the temptation as we go through Easter season is to quit on Easter Sunday. And to think that things are, are finished and complete in one sense. And as we've talked about the mighty acts of God, and as we began with the creation story, and we worked through the flood story, we saw how God had been, been revealing Himself to us, and he entered into a relationship with Abraham and his descendants in covenant. And we learned more about God. We learned about God through the Exodus. We learned about God through the incarnation as his son came and lived among us. And certainly we learned about God through the resurrection and of his love for us and of his victory over death. But again, the empty tomb is not an ending. The empty tomb is a beginning. And that leads us to today. That leads us to this mighty act 
of Pentecost that we have been reading about in Acts chapter 2. In fact, you might turn your your Scriptures there and, and that will be our point of reference as we work through this chapter today. You know, someone once asked, why did Jesus have to return? Why did Jesus have to go to heaven? Because Jesus understood that when, after He left, that the Father would send a comforter. He would, he would send His Spirit to indwell us as His followers. You see, Jesus took on flesh. And because He took on flesh, He embraced those limitations that we have in our flesh of only being able to be present in one place at one time. And yet the Spirit of God indwells and empowers all of us that follow after Him at the same time. So this mighty act of Pentecost is the act of God that continues with us each and every day. It's the mighty act that we celebrate and that we take with us from Easter And Pentecost, as the Spirit of God lives and indwells us. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Scripture says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Pentecost. It means 50. 50 days from the Passover. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus ascended after 40 days, right? He ascended, so that meant that there were still some days. And as we begin the book of Acts, what does Jesus say? What does Luke remind us that Jesus told the apostles to do? To wait. To remain in Jerusalem. Because something was going to happen. Something grand was going to happen. You see, the the tomb, although yes, it conquered death. Yes, Christ won our salvation. But there was something else that was coming. There was another mighty act of God on the way. So the disciples were left in Jerusalem waiting. Waiting for something. Now the Pentecost was a Jewish harvest festival. It was one of the three pilgrim festivals in which Jewish men were expected to attend. They were expected to make that journey to come to Jerusalem. So at this time of Pentecost, Jerusalem was filled again with travelers, with pilgrims who had come. Again, it was a time of harvest, so the, the, the streets and the city was busy with the economics of, of harvest, of the religious activity going on to celebrate this feast. We discover that Pentecost was the day in which the Jews celebrated Moses giving the law, or Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai. Pentecost was a significant day in the life of the Jew because it marked the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant, the the Sinai Sinai Covenant, which the law was received. It was that next step in the Abrahamic Covenant of faith that revealed and that showed that, that Abraham's people were God's people. And in the giving of the law, that was reaffirmed. So the day of Pentecost was a, a, a significant day in the life of the Jewish people. As we go back to Genesis chapter 19, listen to the things going around. Listen to the things happening around the Jewish people in these verses. There was lightning. There was thunder. A thick cloud. There was a loud trumpet sound. Smoke. Fire. 
an earthquake, and this sound, uh, this sound that was like a trumpet, grew louder and louder and louder. You see, the Pentecost event was a, the giving of the law was a, a supernatural, divine event that was experienced with all of the senses of the people of Israel as they stayed there at the Sinai, Sinai, Mount Sinai. And so now, years later, in Acts chapter 2, listen to the things that begin to take place as they were gathered together. Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise. A noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each other. Again, we see that as we read through this story, as we read through this account of the Spirit of God coming on Pentecost, we hear of noises from heaven sounding like a violent rushing wind. We see wind that, that's coming through and filling the house. We see fire. We see the speaking of tongues. Again, I think that Luke is trying to remind us in retelling this story that this, just like the giving of the Ten Commandments, just like the giving of the Old Covenant, that today, this day of Pentecost, marks a new day. It marks a new covenant. The Old, the Sinai Covenant has passed. The Law has passed. It's been fulfilled. And today, on the day of Pentecost, new things are taking place. There's a, a new covenant that is underway. And that is the covenant of the Holy Spirit. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen as we begin, or as we go back to Acts chapter 1. Look at the places in which the Spirit of God is promised and alluded to just here in these short chapters, short verses. In Acts 1.5, the Scripture says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verses 1.8, as part of the Great Commission, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts 2.4 that we just read, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Acts 2 verse 17, in these last days I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. Acts 2.33, Jesus poured forth the Holy Spirit which you both see and hear. In Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the day of Pentecost is about a day of new covenant, of new beginning. It's about the day in which the Spirit of God comes and dwells and empowers His people. Isn't it interesting that as we talked about the birth of Jesus, the, the Son of God, then we talk about His humble beginnings. How He embraced flesh. How He came as a vulnerable, innocent child born of Mary. And in Philippians chapter 2, we see that part of the characteristic, the, the unique revelation of the incarnational event is that Jesus emptied Himself. There, there was this self-emptying experience. And we don't fully understand what that means but isn't it interesting that when the Son of Man, the Son of God came, that the chief characteristic there was an emptying of the Son. Yet now, now, as the 
new covenant is, is spread, as it is birthed and the church is born, the chief characteristic is a filling. Is a filling by the Spirit of God. You see, this is the mighty act and the miracle of Pentecost. With the coming, with the filling, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the church is born. Acts 2 now, verse 41 through 42 says, So then, those who had received His Word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. They were constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, when the birth of the church takes place, when the, the Spirit of God comes upon those apostles, the church is born. And now look what the Scripture says. Those who receive His Word, those that receive His invitation, those that accept this Gospel of Jesus Christ, those who receive His Word are baptized. Certainly the the allusion, the reference to baptism of the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit comes and indwells them. But I think it's also clear that those who received His Word were baptized. They were immersed as that, as that symbol, as that picture of what God was doing in their lives. It seems to me to be a step of obedience. It's a, a step of commitment and of discipleship. When we receive the Word of God, we follow that with baptism. It's, it's that outward symbol, it's that outward sign that testifies and proclaims to the world what is taking place. Next Sunday, we will share in baptism with one of our college students. A young man who's been in faith it's for some time, but comes to say, you know, it's time to, to be baptized, to be immersed as part of my ongoing discipleship and relationship with this church. As they receive the Spirit of God, notice what the characteristic of the church continues to be. They devote themselves. They commit themselves to the apostles' teaching, to to fellowship, to community, to the breaking of bread. Certainly there's an allusion there to to the Lord's Supper, but, but what that refers to is that act of worship together. Praying together. You see, they, they were community. They, they committed themselves to one another. They committed themselves to the Word of God. And they grew together as community. The church is born. And 2,000 years later, I wonder, what would the world be like without the church? What what? is the contribution that the church has made to the world. Now certainly the church has its critics and those that condemn the church. And certainly the church has a history in which some of that criticism is well deserved. Listen to 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche and his condemnation of the church. He wrote, I condemn Christianity I bring against the Christian church the most terrible of all accusations. It is to me the greatest of all imaginable corruptions. Now they may not say it that way today, but there are folks in our world, in our community, in our 
workplaces. There are folks in your families that would have this kind of condemnation and critique towards the church. And as I said, while we certainly must acknowledge the shortcomings and the wrongs that have been done in the name of the church, in the name of the institution, yet even with this admission, the church continues to proclaim and to be the body of Christ in this world. The church is light in the darkness. The church is the proclaimer of salvation. The church is that body which proclaims and offers through the message of Christ abundant, abundant life for this place, I believe, but also eternal life and the hope and promise of victory over death. If you consider the contributions of the church, I think in the area of science, and the church was coming about, nature was considered sacred and that nature acted arbitrarily. Nature was unpredictable and terrifying. But because of the Judeo-Christian heritage, we understand the world is created by God. A God who has revealed Himself in nature. A nature that exhibits characteristics of regularity, orderliness, and dependability. Nature that is not used by the gods invoke whatever havoc or chaos or will that they would desire. Rather, we know that the world and the nature in which we live in can be studied and understood. We understand that the church has been one of those great proclaimers of freedom for all people, both spiritual and physical oppression. Names like William Wilberforce and Martin Luther King Jr. are those that have, through their Christian faith, have brought about freedom from oppression and slavery. Again, there are those who have proclaimed the name of Christ incorrectly and evilly to justify oppression and slavery. But the true church, the church empowered by the Spirit of God, is that people which work towards freedom from that oppression. The church has been a standard of morality in this world. The church has proclaimed a freedom, a moral freedom that comes from right living that creates right relationships. When we live within the parameter and the framework of healthy relationships, we build relationships that are healthy with God, with others, and with self. And in so doing, we discover a richness and a meaning to life. But tragically, this liberty has been replaced by two extremes. One, a legalism, which robs us of the freedom of Christ and of His Spirit in our lives, but also the other extreme, a moral license that today has removed and made relative moral parameters for living. But the church, when empowered and living in the Spirit of God, offers that freedom for right living and morality and relationship. I think of the contribution the church has made in the area of education. You see, Christians have been at the heart of developing the arts and sciences and in teaching people to read and write. Before literacy was that which the common people experienced and understood, stained glass windows in churches and cathedrals like this proclaimed and told the story of the Gospel. Just like the beautiful sculptures and paintings and music 
that has come throughout the history of the church. Again, as we draw attention to to Brad, that, that artistic expression has helped proclaim the story of Christ. As you look around the look at the front of the altar, you see how through painting the story of the gospel, the mighty acts of God have been proclaimed. And today, in preach in painting a picture of, of Peter, we're able to identify with and to tell that story of Pentecost in a new and creative way. A quick glance at the charters for the earliest universities in America reveal the connection between education and Christianity. I think of the contribution of the church in the area of medicine. The Council of Nicaea in 325, they determined that wherever the church was established, that hospitals should be present as well. The international organization Red Cross began out of Christian convictions by those that founded the Red Cross. I think of the area of serving the poor, of reaching out to the outcasts and the oppressed. It is the church that leads the way. It is the church that shows compassion and love and mercy to those in need. I think of organizations like the Salvation Army. I think here even in our own town, Food and Shelter for Friends began out of McFarland Methodist Church and continues to reach and minister and make an impact in our community. The church, when empowered by the Spirit of God, is the agent of change and transformation and mercy in this world. She stands apart from any other organization or religion or people in this world. As a church, we proclaim that Christ will return one day. Have you ever thought about the answer to that question? For whom will Christ return? Will He return for this group or that group or this organization or this school or this state or this nation? Who will Christ return for? I believe the New Testament proclaims that Jesus will return for His bride. He will return for His church. His church which welcomes and embraces the peoples of this world that will call upon His name and receive His Word, and His gift of life and salvation. Jesus will not return for anyone outside of that. You see, your eternity is based upon your relationship with the church. I'm not talking about the institutional church. I'm talking about the body of Christ that is indwelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the people. This is the bride of Christ. So today, as we conclude our Mighty Acts series, I want to go back to where we began. With the Mighty Act of Pentecost. Not the Pentecost that occurred 2,000 years ago, but the Pentecost that continues today. As the Mighty Act of God in this place. Look at Acts 2, verses 43-45. through Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they began selling property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Those previous verses, I think, described what took place and how the church was born. And now, what's the result of that? The result of that is that lives are now empowered and filled with the Spirit of God, transformed into the likeness of the Son. And listen to the, how the community is described as it begins to grow and mature. Everyone was filled with awe. Do you have that sense when we gather together? The sense of awe. When you gather in your Sunday school groups, the, the sense of awe of what God is doing in your midst as you talk with others, as you pray, do you see God working? The signs and wonders taking place, the things that, that could only be described as coincidence. Or maybe the work of God in a new and transforming way. You see God working around you. I love this, this passage here. They, they, those who believed were together. They were in community with one another. And they had all things in common. One of the common themes of Acts chapter 2 is this idea of being together. Which leads to, through the, the transforming work of the Spirit of God, it leads to a radical sharing to meet the needs of others. You see, radical sharing, the, these kinds of things that the early apostles in the early church saw only takes place when we invest ourselves in community with one another and we hear God's Word being ta taught. We share our lives together in worship, in fellowship. And as those relationships share, as we build relationship in common, there's a radical sharing, a radical sacrifice that begins to take place among those who call on the name of Christ. In verse 46, interesting, it continues on day by day. Day by day. Not once a week. Not once a year. Day by day. The people of God were experiencing the filling of the Spirit of God and it was reflected in the lives in which they lived. You see, church, today, through the Holy Spirit, God continues His mighty acts in this world, bringing a harvest of lives and souls through the body of Christ, through the church. I'll never forget my freshman year here at OU. I was in the dorms, and it, it, I think it was still early in the first semester, maybe a couple of months into the semester, and um, I got a call from BSU. I was part of the freshman ministry team there at the BSU, and got a call from one of the directors that a friend of mine, a young man who I graduated high school with, in fact, I'd gone through middle school with him, that he'd gotten word today that his father had been killed in a head-on car wreck going on the Broken Air Expressway. A guy had come across the meeting and was going the wrong way. Killed him instantly. He said, I want you to come with me as we go and talk with him and visit with him. We got to his his room, he was in a state of shock and grief, tearful as you can imagine, kind of numb, throwing some things in a, in a bag to go home. When we got there, he embraced us, 
And I'll never forget his words. He said, I don't know what I would do right now without my faith in Christ and without my church. And I've heard some of you and many of you have made that expression before as you've gone through those difficult times. I don't know what I would do without my faith in Christ and without my church. See, when the people of God are filled with the Spirit of God and when they're serving and they're ministering and they're sharing and they're living life together, something takes place in this world that cannot happen outside of that fellowship and presence of the Spirit of God. You see, the mighty acts of God continue daily as His Spirit indwells and empowers and transforms us. As the Spirit of God brings us into community together. But like Jesus, we must first empty ourselves. Paul says we must die to ourselves. And in so doing, the Spirit of God may fill us. The mighty act of Pentecost continues to announce and reveal the kingdom of God in this place. Have you experienced this mighty act? Have you discovered your place in the body of Christ? Have you discovered your place in the church which continues to live out and proclaim His mighty acts? Maybe today will be your day of salvation. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Let's pray.